0: Psalm 1 together. So let me invite you to turn to Psalm 1 in your Bibles. Uh, This psalm was most likely written by King David and is found in the Old Testament and you should find it uh, nestled between the books of Job and Proverbs. And we're going to look at the whole psalm together this evening. Uh, So let me lead us in reading, starting with verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water This is the word of the lord thanks be to god well let me uh, invite you to have psalm 1 open before you as we look at that together but before we do let's pray for god to be at work among us let's pray almighty god our heavenly father you are the fount of all wisdom and from your mouth comes understanding as you speak to us through the scriptures now We ask that in your grace you would grant that we may receive your words in faith, making our ears attentive to wisdom and inclining our hearts to understanding so that through your word we may come to know your Son better and the life and blessing we have in him. Through our Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, this evening we are going to study Psalm 1 together. And we're going to consider its central theme, the value and importance of God's Word. How delighting in and meditating upon God's Word leads to a truly blessed and happy life of intimate fellowship and communion with God. We're actually given a picture of this blessed life in verse 3. Let me read it to you. Forgive me if I've got a slightly different translation here. Uh, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What an attractive picture of true blessedness. It speaks of whole life flourishing an abundant, evergreen life that can withstand adversity and endure the struggles of this world. It speaks of deep-rooted security firmly planted by life-giving waters. And it speaks of vitality, life seen in its capacity fruitfulness. And for anyone who would have been uh, deeply saturated in the Old Testament scriptures and and the story that it tells, this image reverberates out with echoes of Eden. A fruitful tree planted by life-giving waters, just like in Genesis, when God created Eden in the beginning. You see, the truly blessed and happy life, it is Pictured as being back in the paradise of God, because it is enjoying intimate fellowship with God, who is the source and fount of all life and blessing. And so this, this blessed life, it is fundamentally a God-oriented life. It is to live the way God loves and delights in, the life God knows, associates with, embraces watches over. And we live this life as we delight in and as we meditate upon and as we keep God's word. So the goal of this psalm and the goal of this sermon this evening is to impress upon us the value and the importance of God's word. You know, how you treat God's word is a matter of life and death. And it has eternal consequences. So it's good for us to be looking at Psalm 1 together to to receive its warning, yes, but also to receive its encouragement. And we're going to explore what the psalmist has to say under three main headings this evening. Firstly, we're going to look at the way of the blessed man's life. Secondly, the outcome of the blessed man's life. And finally, the identity of the truly blessed man. The way the outcome, the identity. So firstly, heading one, the way of the blessed man's life. Look down with me at verses one and two again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. In these two verses, the psalmist describes the way of the blessed man's life. In verse one, we see what the blessed man does not do. And then in verse two, we focus on what the blessed man does. So in the first verse, we read of, of, of actually, we read of another group of people. We read of the wicked, sinners, mockers. Three terms that all categorize the same group of people. They are those in contrast with the blessed man. They are those who oppose and disregard the one true and living God. Those who are just apathetic or or antagonistic toward the word of God. It's describing the world around us which rejects God's truth. But true happiness, true blessedness, it's not found under their influence. That's the idea of verse 1. We see three things that the blessed man doesn't do. He doesn't walk, he doesn't stand, and he doesn't sit. And there's a progression here, a, a downward spiral, which speaks of coming more and more under the influence of the wicked. Walking, then standing, then sitting. To walk in the counsel of the wicked is to live your life, to conduct your life without concern or regard for God. To stand in the way of sinners, it actually emphasizes the intensification of your commitment. You will not move from the course of life that sinners take and then to sit, to sit in the seat of scoffers. Well, that intensifies the commitment even more. In the culture, actually, when this psalm was written, to sit, it was to act in authority, especially as a teacher. I guess we could say it's the opposite of modern classrooms or churches. So the idea is that one becomes not only committed, but a, a leading authority and a teacher among those who scoff at God. You, you might embody and enjoy fellowship and even instruct others in this way of life. From walking, to standing, to sitting. But verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not do these things. Blessed is the one who avoids the downward spiral. The blessed man, he's not shaped by their counsel. He does not follow in their ways. He does not enjoy intimate fellowship with the scoffing world around him for he knows that they can only offer temporary mirages of happiness shallow and and fleeting pleasures of sin which soon give way to guilt and misery and ruin or well, they follow and they promote false paths to the truly blessed and happy life but in verse 2 we are given the true path to the blessed and happy life First 2 But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The true path to blessing, it is the law, the teaching, the instruction, the word of God in all its fullness. The true path to happiness, to blessing in this world, is found in the person who loves who keeps, who treasures, who savors, who finds great joy in God's word. He delights in it. He meditates upon it. And that word meditates, it literally means to mutter. It's as if the potentially blessed man is is constantly speaking the word back to himself. He's, He's so full of God's word that it just starts coming out of him at every opportunity. It speaks of this continually fascinated delight in and devotion to God's word, such that it's the first thing he thinks of when he gets up, and it's still on his mind and still on his heart when he heads to bed at night. At all times, in every area of life, from the moment one gets up to the moment one lies again to sleep, our hearts, our minds, our lives must be marinated in shaped by God's truth. So friends, let me ask you, how frequently do you keep company with the apostles and prophets of our Lord? Are you spending time meditating upon and delighting in the scriptures? Are you so full of it that it shapes your life and it just bills out of you at every opportunity how are you treating God's word in your life is it just sitting on your shelf collecting dust neglected and rejected or is it your daily bread is it written on your heart and mind is it your greatest joy and we need to understand something don't we we need to understand that this doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden you're just filled with God's word and you love it and you just keep it all the time. If, it, if that happens to you, please come and speak to me afterwards because you have like the magic key or something, right? That doesn't happen. You don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden God's word is your greatest delight. No, it, it actually takes hard work to cultivate It's going to be a spiritual battle against the world and the flesh and the devil who will try and convince you that it's just not worth it. Or there are 101 other things you must be doing right now. You know, listening to God's word, it might not seem very exciting. It might not seem very revolutionary. How is this going to change the world? But it is the heart of discipleship. The Lord Jesus says it is the good and necessary portion. So give yourselves to God's word. Make it your joy. Treasure it and delight in it above all else. Just sit and read it and enjoy its words. Devote yourselves to meditating upon it, to contemplating it, to studying it deeply. Go get some books off the shelf that might help you. Go re-listen to sermons. That might help. Devote yourselves to God's word. And not just meditating upon it. And not just studying it. But inwardly digesting it. Knowing that it is the true path. To blessing. And that is the central message of this psalm. In contrast to the wicked who perish. Blessed is the one who delights in. And meditates upon. God's word. But there's still. Four more verses. And in the following four verses, the psalmist is going to unpack and illustrate this central point. He's going to motivate, or he's going to try and motivate us to move us by showing us more of the value and the importance of God's word. And that brings us to our second heading, verses three to six: the outcome of the blessed man's life. And the first idea that we see here is actually found in verse three. Look down in verse three. And its focus is on the immediate reward of the blessed man's life. So in verse 3, the psalmist gives us that powerful image of the blessed man's life. He's like a strong, secure, fruitful, vibrant, filled with life tree. And, And everything he does prospers. Now to prosper, it doesn't mean that whatever you pursue will be successful. It's certainly not a promise of health and wealth. But instead, it's talking about how devotion to God's word will have practical implications. It does lead to a sweet blessedness that percolates to all of life. A prospering which speaks of the actions and words of one who is successful, who is effective, who is fruitful in living the kind of life God knows and embraces. Just think about it for a second, okay? Just think about the tree imagery. For a tree to be planted securely by life-giving waters, and so to be able to yield fruit and have leaves that never wither, that is for a tree to prosper, isn't it? And so it is in a similar way, that the faithful Christian life devoted to the Word of God is rooted, is secured, and is sustained by the truths of God's word, and so is able to endure, to persevere when tough times come. It's as if this happy tree person, they're nourished and they're, they're fed by the waters of God's word, such that as they meditate and delight upon God's word, it is in turn at work in them. Transforming them in a life giving direction, a fruitful direction of wisdom and blessing, whole life flourishing that ultimately possesses truth and purpose and wisdom and goodness and beauty, just as God intended. Do you not want that kind of life? I know I do. These are the immediate outcomes of the blessed man's life this is what it means this is what it looks like sorry to to walk in God's way and then in verses four to six we read of the ultimate reward the ultimate outcome of the blessed man's life for he is ultimately rescued from perishing in God's judgment in verse three the the happy man's pictured as a stable fruitful filled with life tree but in verse four The wicked are pictured as chaff blown about in the wind. A chaff is the kind of loose outer covering on wheat and other grains that that needed to be separated in the threshing and and winnowing processes of harvesting grain. Um, It's just lightweight. It's it's insubstantial. And what would happen is, is, through the winnowing process, it would kind of be skillfully tossed up into the air to be blown about by, God's, uh, sorry, by the breeze and carried away by the wind while the weightier wheat would just kind of fall to the ground and you, you'd gather that and, and keep it. And what the psalmist does is he takes this image and he applies it to the wicked who reject God's authority and rule, who reject God's word. He says they live a life that is ultimately insubstantial and insecure. A life of rootless futility, which soon vanishes and is brought to nothing. When the winds of God's judgment blow, they are utterly swept away. They will not stand on the day of judgment because they have no roots. They are not connected to God, but are alienated and and estranged from him. And that's the idea of verse 6. Although the Lord knows the way of the righteous, he has no association with the way of the wicked. And God's disposition to the wicked is that they are cut off from him. And that's a really sobering thought, isn't it? You know, so often we can have our questions, our opinions, our doubts, our concerns about God. And yet we may never stop to ask the more fundamentally important question. What does God think of me? What does God think of my life? How does he evaluate it? Well, here we have God's verdict. If we reject him and his words, God considers our life ultimately meaningless, futile, and insubstantial like chaff, a life cut off from him, which soon vanishes, vanishes and is brought to nothing. And so as verse 6 explains, on the great day of reckoning, in that final day of judgment to come the wicked will not stand and they will not endure but they will perish but actually these verses highlight the blessing that belongs to those who delight in god's word you see the blessed man is well avoids the way of destruction the congregation of the righteous the assembly of the righteous They stand before the Lord in vindication at his judgment. And they do this by abiding in the way that is known and watched over by God. This is the way of life that God delights in and rescues. It is the way of right relationship with God. Eternal life that begins now abides the judgment to come. And ultimately enjoys and and receives the promised glorious future that God has prepared for those who know and love him. And so we see, we see how the truly blessed and happy life, it involves being rooted in God's word and it results in salvation. In contrast to the wicked who perish, the one who delights in and is devoted to the word of the Lord is blessed by God. They will flourish and prosper in living a life that God delights in. And they will receive that ultimate reward. They will stand vindicated in the judgment to come. And so Psalm 1, it teaches us how to live a truly blessed and happy life. It seeks to persuade us to pursue such a life. If you want to flourish, to be blessed by God, to have eternal life. If if you want the future generations of this church or within your own family to have this too then we need to be a people who meditate on the word of God, who delight in it, who treasure it above all else, and who teach and help others to do the same. Well, we've seen the way of the blessed man's life and the outcome of the blessed man's life, but there's more. There's more to see, for this psalm also points us to the one who is the truly blessed man. And so thirdly and finally, we must see the identity of the truly blessed man. You see, so far we've been talking about the recipient of these blessings as a generic person, haven't we? Uh, Psalm 1, it just regards and, and applies to everybody. Anyone who lives this way will receive God's blessing. And that is true as far as it goes. This psalm, it impresses upon us the value and importance of God's word for everyone. Yet we must also see that this psalm has a particular regard, a particular application and a view towards God's king. Now we actually get a hint of this in verse 1, where some Bible translations, they have the footnote that tells you that the singular Hebrew word for man is used here to portray a representative example of a godly person. In other words, the man, in reference in verse 1 isn't humanity as a whole, but has in view a particular man who can represent the whole of humanity. Let me say that again. The man in reference in verse 1 isn't humanity as a whole, but has in view a particular man who can represent the whole of humanity. And this is because the, the truly blessed man of Psalm 1 is the, is the final, the, the true, the ultimate anointed king that God has promised to his people. Now, the psalmist, he doesn't just come out and say that. It would be nice if he does, if he did. But actually, that's not how poetry communicates concepts, is it? But he does intend for us to see it as we reflect upon his words. It actually becomes clearer as we see that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are connected. So you need to have your Bibles open at this point. Okay, so if you've shut them, open them again. Okay, if you're switching off, now's the time to really engage because we're gonna get a little bit technical. But Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are connected, okay? And we actually see this because they share key words. Alright? So um, Psalm 1, verse 1. Okay, I've got a slightly different translation, but you still you, sh- you should have this, right? How blessed is the man or the one? Blessed? You got that? Give a little nod, yeah, we're good. Blessed, right. Chapter, uh, Psalm 2, verse 12. Psalm 2, verse 12. Right at the end, the last sentence. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Okay, blessed, blessed. Got that in your minds? Yeah, you gotta, you're going to have to nod along because I want you to follow this along. See this, is, it's here in the text. Okay, blessed, verse 1 uh, and 2, verse 12. Okay, um, verse 1, uh, sorry, Psalm 1, verse 6. Okay, the way of the wicked will perish. Way, perish. See that? I'm not making that up, Yeah? OK, turn to chapter two, uh, Psalm 2 verse 12. "Kiss the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way." See that? Perish, way. Same Hebrew words, same, same words. Okay, let's do one more. There's actually actually there's several more, but let's just do one more. Um, This one's going to be a little bit confusing. Psalm 1, verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Yeah? Meditates? See that word? Psalm 2, verse 1. I'll be surprised if any English translation has this, because I haven't found one yet. Why do the nations rage, and the peoples... What do you have? Someone just shout something out. Plot. Plot? Guess what the word is. Meditate. Why do the nations rage and the peoples meditate on a vain thing? You see, these two Psalms, they share these key words because they're interconnected, they're related, and they're inviting us to to meditate upon how they relate, how they connect, and what this means. Psalm 2, actually, it fills in some of the kind of poetic gaps of Psalm 1. It kind of unpacks and expands a little bit of some of those concepts. And you can go away and you can think about that a little bit more. But what I want us to see is that these two psalms, they are bound together. They are bound together and we are invited to read them in light of each other. And so I guess the question is, okay, you set that up. Why? Why does that matter? Well, it's because the structural points, they make a theological point, Right? You see, the king in view in Psalm 2, Psalm 2 is all about the king and his kingdom, right? And the king in view in Psalm 2 is meant to be linked with God's law in Psalm 1. And this is because back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God gave instructions to the future king of Israel to write a copy of God's law. He was to be devoted to the law. He was to embody God's law. He was to master it in order to uphold it in the nation. He was to learn from it, to fear God, and to carefully observe all the words of the law. And he was to do so that he might be an example of what everyone else should do. And so the two Psalms, they're connected. Psalm 1 and 2, they're bound together because of the connection between the king and the law. It's as if the Psalm 1 Blessed man is portrayed as the ultimate king God's people need. Or to flip it the other way around, the ultimate king God's people need must be the ultimate, the true Psalm 1 blessed man. He needs to be the the truly righteous king who prospers and succeeds in fulfilling God's purposes through devotion and obedience to his word. He's got to be the king who who must learn and obey the instruction of the Lord before he can take dominion over the whole earth. He's got to be the king who is truly righteous and so is blessed by God and because of this can lead God's people through this life, through the judgment to come and into the eternal paradise and blessing of God. And it is in this way that Psalm 1 particularly applies to our Lord Jesus. He is the ultimate king that Psalm 2 looked forward to. And he is the truly blessed man that Psalm 1 describes. In fact, we could, we could push it a little bit further. We could say Psalm 1 gives you, gives us an indirect portrait of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is uniquely and supremely and with complete integrity the truly blessed man of Psalm 1. Even when Satan attempted to distract him with worldly treasures, even when the whole world plotted against him and conspired against him, even when his own flesh became tired and weak under the uh, overwhelming pressure of the cross, even then he remained faithful to God and was continually rooted in God's word. Jesus, he, he... did not go into sin as did the first Adam. He did not go into sin as the other kings of Israel did. But he has succeeded in every way that the rest of humanity has failed, including us. He never turned, not once from God's way, but he was humble and obedient even unto death. And because of this, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is uniquely sufficient to be the savior of God's people and the king of his eternal kingdom. He is the one who lived the truly obedient life on our behalf, on your behalf, on my behalf. He is the one who has gone before us in the way of salvation. He is the one who gives us his perfect life and he is our Lord and our king who calls us to follow him. to to live the kind of life that Psalm 1 describes, that he lived as we take refuge in him. So when we share in reading and and saying Psalm 1, next time you go away and and read it in your quiet times or in your devotional times, remember, Psalm 1 isn't primarily about you. I think I've said this before. We can come to the Bible and be such selfish readers. I must be in every passage. Where Where am I? Who am I in this story? No. Psalm 1 is about Jesus. And it should lead us to worship him. It should lead us to affirm that God's blessings rest upon him and they are to be found in him alone. But I think we could go away with a slightly wrong application here. Because we might go away and go, Dan told me this is all about Jesus. I don't need to listen to this psalm. And that is not true at all. Because we should also learn from him. You know, this psalm, it doesn't limit the application of this psalm to just the king alone. Remember when I was talking about Deuteronomy 17? The king was meant to embody the law, to lead the nation, to follow the law. Everyone else should follow what the king is doing. The king was always meant to lead the people, to be an example for them to follow. And we see in Psalm 1 verse 5, look down at Psalm 1 verse 5, don't look at me, look at the verse. Who is there alongside the blessed man? The assembly, the congregation of the righteous, no longer singular, now corporate. There is a congregation of the righteous who are alongside the blessed man, vindicated in the judgment to come. And that is because the congregation of the righteous, found in verse 5, are blessed like him as they take refuge in him. They are blessed like him as they trust him and honor him and follow in his ways. So let's round this out, okay? Psalm 1 is firstly about the life and blessing of King Jesus. Yeah? He's the blessed man. Then it's about the blessings that we receive through faith in him. And finally, it gives us a vision, a portrait of the life our righteous King Jesus calls us to live as we trust and follow him. A life of following his example, a life of faithfulness to God's word and fruitfulness as we entrust our lives to him and learn to walk in his ways. So what do I want you to do this evening as a result of this sermon? I want you to look to Jesus. I want you to hide yourself in him, to worship him, to turn to him, to trust in him, to daily abide in him and to learn from him. To learn from his his example. To delight in God's word. And the good news is that as we do this, God's word will be at work in us. Transforming us and leading us to a truly blessed and happy life of intimate fellowship with God. Let's pray together for God's help to stay the course. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we are weak. And we face many temptations to abandon the true path of blessing. Please guard our hearts against every evil and false way. Against every distraction. Against apathy. And help us instead to grasp and to believe that true blessedness is found in devotion to your word and your son. And we ask now that you would renew us by your life-giving spirit and our faith in Christ so that we would live our lives wholeheartedly for him, filled with the joy and the wonder and the blessings of knowing him and being found in him. Four more time together to a close this evening. Now may the God who knows the way of the righteous and whose word brings such life and blessing show you insight and grant you wisdom that you may be filled with all life, joy and peace as you meditate on his words and follow his King, who lives and reigns over the earth. Amen.